0: Jury duty. Everybody dreads it. Everybody tries to get out of it. But it is your civic duty. And it's really not that bad. That's what we're going to talk about next on the Driving with Rob podcast. Jury duty. I'm not sure how they do it in other states, but in North Carolina, at least, in the North Carolina judicial system. You get picked for a jury based on voter registration. It really doesn't come from the tax department. It doesn't come from anything else. It's based on registered voters. They figure if you're a registered voter, you must be civic-minded. You must be willing to do your civic duty if you took the time to register to vote. But anyway... In North Carolina, in my part of North Carolina, that's what the jury selection is based on, you get called for jury duty because you're a registered voter. Well, a couple of days ago, well, a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, I get this thing in the mail, and it doesn't say you're cordially invited. It doesn't say your presence is requested, or some of the other really nice ones that you get for these seminars Come have a free meal on us. No. What does it say? By order of the superior court, you are hereby summoned to personally appear. You know, it's very formal, very uh, very scary sounding. So right off the bat, they've got you worried about it. Right off the bat... They have got you to the point that you're dreading it so bad. You're trying to figure out a way. Is there a way I can get out of this thing? Is there a way I don't have to go to jury duty? I'm going to have to take time off from work. And some employers now, to their credit, some employers, and I wish all employers did this, some employers will pay your full salary while you're serving on jury duty. Now, in the state of North Carolina, they cannot penalize you for jury duty. In other words, you can't be fired for it. But some companies actually pay your full salary while you're serving on jury duty. And I actually worked for one company that not only paid my full salary, they didn't force me to use vacation time to do it either. It was just free and clear, excused absence, and they paid my full salary while I served on a jury. And that was pretty cool. That was actually pretty cool. And I wish all companies did that. But they don't, Uh, especially smaller companies. As an independent contractor, if I'm not at work, I'm not being paid. And a lot of smaller companies feel the same way. No work, no pay. But under the laws of North Carolina, they can't fire you for being out of work to serve on a jury, which is cool. But anyway, let me tell you how this thing works. Basically, what they do is they pulled... And I can only speak from my personal experience. It may be different where you live. But the way it worked for me was they summon about 60, maybe 80 people at a time for jury duty. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to serve on a jury. That just means you're in the pool of prospective jurors. So they call you in there and they've got you in this big room and they give you all the the rules and regulations. You know, if you get called on a jury, you can't discuss the trial outside of the courtroom. And, you know, all of these different rules and regulations that you have to go through just to be on a jury. And trust me, if you get a jury summons, you will go. Because, as I said, it's not an invitation. It is a summons. It is a court order. You must be there because if you don't go if you just fail to show up they will come and get you i don't know what the severity of the punishment is if you don't go but you know i'm sure it's not nice but anyway they pull 60 70 people throughout your county to serve on jury duty and it's just a wide spectrum again it's based on voter registration so you never know who's going to be in there there are 18-year-old kids in there, there are 70-year-old retirees in there, uh, housewives, doctors, electricians, plumbers, factory workers, you know, everybody the full spectrum, and that's what they want. Is they want to get, I I think, the uh, most diverse group that they possibly can to be in the pool of prospective jurors. Now, When they get ready to start the case, the judge reads what the charges are. In this particular trial, the plaintiff or the uh, defendant is being charged with whatever crime it is. And he cautions you that, or this particular judge did, uh, cautions you that the defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty. And it is the state's job, the district attorney's job, to provide evidence that the person is guilty. It's the defense attorney's job to either refute that evidence or provide evidence of his own that his client is in fact innocent of the crime he's being accused of. Well, they will select 12 of you out of this pool of 60 or 70 people and you all go up you go up to the, to the jury box. And then the district attorney gets to go first. The DA or assistant DA gets to ask questions to verify that you are an acceptable juror. And the kind of questions they ask you, they ask you, do you know this person who's on trial? Do you know the arresting officer if there was an arrest? Do you know anyone else on the jury do you have anything at all that would prevent you from openly fairly hearing the testimony and hearing the evidence and making an unbiased judgment so they don't want you to be on the jury if you're a friend of somebody who works at the courthouse somebody who's in law enforcement somebody who works in the DA's office, whatever it is, they want to make sure that you're not going to be biased, that you don't have any predisposed prejudice. And they'll go down the line and they'll interview each individual juror, prospective juror. Because at this point you haven't been sworn in yet as a juror. Very hard word to say, juror. Anyway, then the defense attorney gets his turn to interview you and ask you questions and make sure that you're an acceptable jury member, that you're not going to be prejudiced against his client. And I think the district attorney and the defense attorney can reject or, or pass on up to six people. That's why they call so many people in to be prospective jurors. It may be that, you know, this uh, the case on trial is a land dispute. Maybe you're a wealthy landowner. Maybe you own property adjoining that property. Maybe you have a particular stake in this trial. I'm going to pass on jury member number six. Number six, you may step down. And then they'll call in another. And then they'll start the interview process all over again. And I think they can reject or pass on up to six each. So you could potentially have 24 people involved in jury selection for a particular case. And I guess it's possible if, uh, it's, a, if it's a very uh, publicized case, if, if a lot of people know about it, that you know they could pass on everybody and have to pull in another 60 or 80 people. I'm not sure how that works. I think that's how it works. But usually, in superior court and in civil cases, they can usually find out of the 60 or 80 people enough people to actually serve on a jury, and then they can get on with the trial. Well, what they do is they swear you in you put your, your hand on a Bible, you raise your right hand, and you say, I do solemnly swear that I will, to the best of my ability, openly and without prejudice, listen to the testimony and the evidence as it's presented. And I furthermore swear that the defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty. So anyway, so this whole process goes on. And as I said up front, everybody dreads it, everybody tries to get out of it, because it is kind of a lengthy boring process and it does take time out of your life to go do something that you otherwise would not do in a million years that you would never volunteer to do that's why the court orders you the court summons you to be there but actually it's a very very interesting thing to watch because you learn how the court system actually works and you learn what they can say and what they can't say and it's not exactly like it is on tv the guys on TV get away with a lot more than the real-life attorneys get by with, meaning they can say things on TV that they would never actually let you say in a courtroom. But it is interesting to watch, and it's not just interesting because this is how the, the real-life court system actually works. It's good that you know how the real-life court system actually works. Because people get falsely accused of things all the time. People get dragged into civil court for the judge to make a decision because these two particular people couldn't work out their differences, whatever it was. And you get into, uh, like, the case I was on was a a simple assault case. Uh, One person accused the other one uh, of assault, even though nobody uh, in the argument was ever touched. Uh, one person was charging the other person with assault. Well, they have to take it to trial. But people get falsely accused of things all the time. And it's good to know kind of how the system works because there may be at some point or another in your life, God forbid, that you or someone you know or love gets falsely accused of something. You need to know how that system works. And in a way, it's kind of comforting to go into A situation like that where you're actually sitting on a jury and see how it works and see what kind of questions they can ask, what kind of questions they can't ask, what kind of evidence they have to produce. And one of the cool things is after you hear all the evidence, all the testimony, and they send you back to the deliberation room, this is where the jurors go back and they discuss the evidence in the case and take a vote guilty or not guilty. It is the jury who decides guilty or not guilty. The judge gets to sentence whoever it is. But the jury has to go by what the law says to decide whether a person's guilty or not guilty based on the evidence that came out in the trial. Not your predisposition, not what you thought it was going to be like or not how you think the law should read. All you have to go by is The law says, and in many cases, the law is very specific as to what constitutes a crime. It's very detailed, very specific. You have to meet all these criteria to determine whether somebody actually committed that crime or not. And you vote guilty or not guilty based on did they prove or disprove that he has committed this crime based on these specific criteria that must be met beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, we're all human beings. Nobody can look at any situation and have zero doubt. I mean, you know, you you think you can. You think that there are certain things that are are completely 100% true every time. Have you ever seen those foam rubber bricks it looks just like a brick but it's foam rubber. It's a joke it's a gag you throw them at people and it bounces right off of them but when it's coming at them they think you're throwing a brick at them. This is how magicians make their living is misdirection and making you believe that something you thought was a hundred percent true and reliable all the time is not necessarily a hundred percent reliable all the time. That's the reason they say, Reasonable doubt. When the jury deliberation is over, the jurors come out of the deliberation room and it's a whole big formality. It's a whole big formal thing. The bailiff, you have to write down guilty or not guilty. You hand it to the bailiff. The bailiff carries it to the judge. The judge looks at it. The judge hands it to the clerk of court. The clerk of court reads it and then the judge confirms and verifies. This was a unanimous decision by a show of hands. You all agree with this verdict. Please let the record show that all 12 people raised their hands. You know, and it's, and it's a whole big deal. It's a whole big song and dance. And I went to jury duty. I did get picked on a jury. The state presented its case. The defense presented its case. And we came to the unanimous conclusion that the state did not prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and we found the guy not guilty, and as much as I dreaded going and as much as I didn't want to be there, I'm glad I went, because as citizens, it really is our civic duty to sit on a jury. It's one of the few times that somebody who's not a politician, somebody who's not a government bureaucrat or a government employee, actually gets into a governmental process and you get to see firsthand how it really works not how it works on TV so when you get your summons don't dread it so much it's really not that terrible you meet some interesting people you get to see how the court system works up close and personal and I think you'll walk away having a better perspective a renewed faith in our government, the way the government works, the way the government should work, because now you have become part of the process. And that's today's episode of the Driving with Rob podcast. I'm glad you listened. I'm glad you downloaded. If you'd like to hear more podcasts and you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, just click on subscribe, and then you'll get a notification every time I post a new episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you come back again. Thanks. Bye.